Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, hello there. How pleased I am to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have a curious item indeed for you to take a look at. If you'll step over here, I've taken the liberty of pulling this artifact out. If you'll notice inside the glass cloche, we have what looks to be the skeletal remains of a tiny creature. Yes, you'll notice the human-like skull and backbone, arms and legs, and the ribcage, but you'll also notice something else. For this tiny example of skeletal remains, we'll say it is probably only a few inches in height. This has wings. If you'll come around to the back of this cloche and take a look at how these skeletal wings attach to the spinal column, it is a wonder of genetics and mythology. Now this tiny creature, some may call a pixie, others may call a fairy, but I call it a look into what today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop holds. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the new season of the Amazon Prime series, Carnival Row. So Carnival Row is a series that when it first came out, I was so excited about it because it, I believe it premiered on Amazon Prime in August of 2019, but I didn't have Amazon Prime at the time, so I ended up, I wasn't able to watch it until I believe sometime in early 2020, I ended up picking up Amazon Prime and finally got to watch the first season of Carnival Row, and it was everything I hoped it would be and more. I was I was really excited about this series starring Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne and so many other great actors. Jared Harris is in this. Simon McBurney. We'll get into all those characters a little bit later, but I really loved that first season. And the whole idea behind this this series, how you have this land of Tirnanok and the Fae, which is kind of just a blanket term for all these mythological creatures. It's where they live. And then the city-state, the Berg, is at war with this other uh, state the pact in Tirnanok, you know, trying to, to gain its resources. And this war has ravaged the land, the Berg retreat, and leave Tirnanok to, well, it's war-torn and it's in the hands of the pact now. So all of these fey creatures are now fleeing and immigrating as refugees to the Berg. Of course, many of them, to get passage, have to enter into indentured servitude. A lot of them are treated, uh, most all of them are treated, even the even the more elite, which we'll get into one of our main characters as one of these kind of elite, well-to-do fey creatures. Uh, they're still treated like second-class citizens for the most part. And most all of them end up in the Berg's version of the ghetto called Carnival Row, where we get the name of the series. And of course, that first season, we get the Rycroft Philostrate uh, Orlando Bloom character. We learn about his relationship with Vignette, the uh, Cara Delevingne character. Uh, she is a, a pixie or a fairy. We learn about their relationship. There's a murder mystery. We get this this big creature, the Dark Asher. Uh, just it just had a lot going for it, and. 
this show really embodied so many different variations of genre that I just, I loved. I mean, it was like uh, J.R.R. Tolkien meets Charles Dickens meets Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You get a little bit of Mary Shelley in there. You get a little bit of H.P. Lovecraft in there. It just had a lot of great influences and inspirations. It's one part steampunk, one part fantasy, one part horror, one part noir detective story. It just was fascinating to watch and had so many facets and so many characters, which made it all that more interesting. You just had so many lives you were delving into and learning about that I I couldn't wait for a season two. But then, of course, we waited. And we waited, and we waited, and it wasn't until February of of this year, of 2023, that Carnival Row finally got its second season. Unfortunately, we found out that it is the final season of this series, and, and it's such a shame because this series had so much untapped potential. That's not to say that the two seasons we got weren't good. But this whole world could have been so much bigger. We could have got to see so much more about these characters and the the lives and the different races. And there was just so much that we could have learned and and so many more different places we could have gone with these characters and this this land and this world that we're in that we're never going to get to. And that's kind of a shame. And we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. But we find season two, uh, the Berg is in a a little bit of turmoil after the Chancellor has been assassinated. His son is now running the show. The opposition leader is a a woman who is the opposition leader. And these two uh, are childhood lovers, and they are in cahoots. It's like, it'd be kind of like the Republicans and the Democrats, the leader of both parties, banging out all their problems, so to speak, and manipulating the the parliament but there's a little bit more to that story as well which we'll, we'll talk about here briefly but we find the that's the state of the berg we've got philo and vignette are still in the midst of their complicated relationship we've got the agreus character and imogen who are on the run from the berg and imogen's brother ezra and there's a new creature on the loose murdering people so you really get a lot of the same elements that you got in the first you get the murder mystery you You get the political intrigue. You get all the fantastical mythological creatures. You get kind of that steampunk world that we're living in. You get uh, a little bit of horror, a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of science fiction all rolled into one, which made for a great season. My, My only worry was... How truncated was this season going to be? How rushed was it going to feel? You know, they had one season, 10 episodes, to try and get from where we left off in season one to how they want to wrap up this series. And you have 10 episodes to do that and go. So I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to pull that off because, like I said, this is a, a story and a world and these are characters that had so much more story to tell. And I, I have to imagine the creators were thinking of this in terms of, hey, we're going to get a few seasons, or at least they were planning for a few seasons, I would hope. And now they don't have a few seasons. They've got one season to to get it right and get it all wrapped up in a very satisfying way. And I, I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to do that, but I, I think they did for the most part. So 
we're going to talk about this series. We're going to talk about this season in particular. I mean, uh, I I thought about doing a whole series review, but I don't want this to go too terribly long. Uh, So I'm going to talk about season two. We are going to reference season one, and there are going to be a lot of spoilers because I am going to be talking about this this series and and my thoughts on it and some of the big reveals and some of the things I enjoyed and didn't enjoy about this. And I can't do that without really talking about it, really diving into it. And so there are going to be spoilers from here on out. But if you have seen this and you want to maybe see what I think about it, if you've never watched this and you're thinking, I'd like to see what this is all about, uh, I'm not going to give everything away, but you are going to get some spoilers if that doesn't bother you. And if you haven't watched it, Go watch it. Like I said, it's only a couple seasons. You you probably burn through this in a weekend and <laughs> come back and and see what I think and see if maybe uh, it's kind of in line or maybe maybe we've got totally differing opinions on this. But uh, hear what I think after you've watched this. But from here on out, there are going to be some spoilers, so you have been warned. So I, I was trying to really struggling with how to talk about this season in as concise a way as possible while still talking about all the different characters and what they're doing, but not just droning on and on about this character and that character and and what they're doing. So I decided to kind of break this up into two or three couples. And we're going to talk about those couples. And those couples, at one point or another, run into all of our main characters, all of the even the, some of the side characters, which we'll mention briefly. But uh, we're going to talk about... Uh, Philo and Vignettes. We're going to talk about uh, Grayus and Imogen. And for for a brief amount of time, we are going to talk about Jonah Breakspear and Sophie Longerbane, which we'll, we'll kind of talk about them first. I know they're not the main couple in this, but uh, but they have the shortest run as a couple. And, and these two uh, characters were very interesting. Jonah Breakspear is the son of the former chancellor, played by Artie Frashan. And Sophie Longerbane is the daughter of the opposition leader and uh, played by Caroline Ford. And these two, like I said, they've been in cahoots. Uh, but we find out that they're not as unified a, a couple as as one would think as the uh, Sophie Longerbane character is devising behind Jonah Breakspear's back. She's getting her hands on all these businesses and gaining capital, gaining money uh, in a way to she wants to overthrow Jonah Breakspear. And that's where a lot of the political intrigue came in for this season. It was a lot of what uh, was going on in season one. A lot of that uh, political wrangling and maneuvering. uh, These two characters were kind of at the heart of that. And they were at the heart of that this season. And (laughs) until uh, Breakspear gets gets wind of what's going on. And then we have that scene, probably one of the uh, most horrific scenes. And uh, one of the scenes where we first get a a greater idea of what this this monstrous killer that is on the loose is all about. Because you have Breakspear, he has Sophie, he has Milford, he has Vignette. He's going to execute them all. And we get that scene where he does actually execute Sophie. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like halfway through the season. And she's kind of a main character. And they just lopped her head off. And so I was like, oh, wow. And then this creature shows up. And just as 
they're about to execute vignette. I, I figured something was going to happen. Something was going to stop this. You had Philo and you had one of the Black Ravens, Kane, uh, coming to rescue vignette, but they didn't get there in time. They're they're held up by the guards. And this creature shows up, and it's the first time we really get a good look at this creature known as a Ceres that has been uh, killing people. And, and we'll we'll get to the, the nuts and bolts of that. But the way he kills, or way this creature kills Jonah Breakspear is just disgusting because this creature has like almost like flying squirrel type wings, a thin uh, sheet of skin between the hands and the feet. It kind of glides, but it has this long neck and this big skeletal face and these mouths inside of mouths. It was like Fizzgig from the Dark Crystal, a mouth inside of a mouth and just these multiple mouths on its body. And it kind of gives you a warm embrace and then eats your chest open and and when Breakspear is let go and falls down and his whole chest is just bare and you know, all the guts and stuff it was just disgusting and and the creature itself was it was an interesting creature design one of the things i really liked about this season was the creature design on this it was it was bizarre and and odd and slightly terrifying and it was just creepy and, and it was different. Part of me wanted to say it was a little much, but part of me was like, I, I've never seen anything like this before. So I don't care if it was a little much. It was it was something interesting and, and a new take on a mythical creature. I know Ceres are, are something from mythology I'm not terribly familiar with. Probably should have looked up that a little more, but uh, but this creature rescues, but this creature releases uh, vignette, doesn't touch Milford, and then all of a sudden, all the pixies and all of the fae that are in this prison uh, that this whole take thing takes place are are released. So that was quite a, an interesting scene and an interesting setup, and then an interesting end to the Jonah Breakspear and Sophie Lauderbane characters, where we see them both die, and and that kind of to me, I mean, this happened like episode four, uh, maybe five, somewhere around there. So we're just about halfway through the season, and these two main characters are dead, which made me think, oh, all bets are off, and and it's not going to be so much about the political intrigue as it is going to be about some of our main characters and what's going on with them. I think we'll talk about the Agraeus and Imogen characters next, because I think I want to save Philo and Vignette's characters for last, because they are the main focus of this series. So we're going to talk about Agraeus and Imogen, which uh, two characters, I, I, I wasn't sure if I like them at first. The Imogen Spurnrose character is kind of uh, almost like a petulant child, although she has an innocence. She's got a controlling brother who has a creepy kind of... Cersei Jamie vibes about him, but uh, but I grew to like this character more this season. Tamsin Merchant plays the Imogen Spurnrose character, and I think she does a really good job with that kind of brokenness of a woman caged, and, and that's a big theme throughout uh, this season, and especially with her character is how she's been in a cage her whole life. She kind of plays that brokenness, but she also plays an innocence. She also plays a strength that she she gains throughout this season. We didn't really get to see that in her in the first season. And we get to see it incrementally in this second season. 
Then you've got Agreus played by David Jesse, and I, I I absolutely love him in this because you know just as an actor he's he's quite good, but to to act with all the the prosthetics and things that they have going on with him because uh, you know the Agreus character is a puck or a fawn, if you will. I, I think puck is probably the derogatory term in this world. He's a fawn, and he is you know has those big ram horns and they've got something they did with his his feet that uh, we'll we'll get to that when I talk more about the the look and the, the feel and the the effects of this move or actually of this uh, series but David Jesse uh, plays a, a fantastic character in Agreus because you get a lot with this character he's kind of like the strong silent type he is a he is a fawn, but he's a fawn of means. He has built a fortune, and we don't really know much about how he built his fortune. We learn that in this second season, but uh, he is a man of wealth. He meets Imogen, who is his next-door neighbor, and they, they fall in love. And It's kind of one of those uh, relationships that kind of defies the... Uh, defies the odds, if you will. I don't know. Maybe that sounds corny and cliche, but it's it's very much. And, and this, I think, this relationship speaks to the uh, social and the racial issues that are, are very inherent in this story, where you have you have quite literally. Uh, two people of different races that we see from our world. We have a, a white woman and a black man. But in this world, that's not even the, the real race issue because you have a human and a fawn. You have a human and a crit who are, are together. And in this world, that's the more taboo uh, racial difference. And, and of course, that maybe not uh, subversively, but... Uh, it, it maybe wasn't under the radar. I really was quite upfront what they were trying to make and the points that they were trying to make. But where they kind of were a little heavy-handed uh, and beat you over the head with some other uh, social issues. I mean, the down with the patriarchy stuff was was quite obvious. And I mean, they didn't even try to make it subtle. It was just right there in, in exposition and was like beating you over the head with a sledgehammer. But but you didn't get that very overt sense of social issue with this Imogen and an Agreus story. Uh, this tackled social issues. It wasn't I can't say it wasn't heavy-handed because it was quite obvious what they were trying to do in talking about these social issues, but I liked how it interweaved with the story quite well. And I, you know, I think that some of the best uh, social commentary writing were done with the Agreus and the Imogen characters. And so I really liked where this, uh, this couple, uh, where they came from, what they became. They're on the run together, trying to escape the Berg, trying to escape Imogen's older controlling brother, Ezra. And it takes us finally out of the Berg. And, and we get some flashbacks to Tirnanok in the first season with with the Philo and the Vignette characters, but this took us to the Pact, uh, where we find that the the Pact is this country very much reminded me of Russia. Russia back before the Russian Revolution, the Bolsheviks and all that stuff, where you had the rich elite that were in charge and you know the rich had everything the poor had nothing and you had that civilian uprising and that led to communism and you had that with with the pact they seemed kind of like this sort of 
uh, tyrannical government led by the wealthy and they kept their people subjugated in poverty and they rose up and wanted to create a government where kind of everyone, kind of like communism, where everyone owned everything. And I, I'm glad they didn't glamorize that because communism and socialism, uh, I, I know it sounds good to some of the young kids. It seems uh, very much like a utopia, but there's a reason why it doesn't work. And that's not to say what we're doing right now is working, but somewhere in the middle there is something. And uh, there again, this isn't a political platform, so I'm not going to talk politics. But it was very interesting, the parallels that they drew between uh, this story and things that happen in the real world. And you get a lot of that with this series is you have a lot of social issues that can equate to what we're experiencing here a lot of political issues uh what we're experiencing in the real world you you saw versions and variations of that in this this fantasy world but you have agraeus and imogen captured by the pact uh, and they're, they're finding out that, you know, it, it seems all hunky-dory and good, but there are a lot of bad aspects of it. They escape. Ezra catches up with them. And then that all really was to introduce one of the, the big villains of this season, which was Joanne Wally's character, Leonora. She is kind of the head of this revolution called the New Dawn that, that has caused havoc in the pact. And... And they're making their way towards the Berg. And they're displaced from the Pact when the, the Pact finally returned to the city that they've taken over and bombed the bejesus out of it. And and really all this was, yeah, like I said, to to give, other than the Ceres, uh, to give a new human villain to this season, to introduce us to them, to, I think, fast track the Agraeus and, and Imogen characters because they are very much in love. And Imogen has has changed, and she's she's evolved as a as a character from this weak little rich girl to a strong independent woman who is in love with who she wants to be in love with. And then you have this scene where Agraeus tells her how he came about his wealth, how he uh, essentially turned in a couple indentured servants for his freedom and some gold. And then he made his fortune hunting down other escaped slaves and indentured servants. And and the thing that I, I really kind of kind of bothered me about this whole scene is that it didn't seem to bother her when this happened, when he divulges this. It's only when pack soldiers are coming by and they're trying to keep her brother Ezra quiet and Agraeus is holding him down and she's covering his mouth and then all of a sudden decides to to cover his mouth and plug his nose and, and suffocate Ezra. She kills her brother. Then all of a sudden her character turns and she starts accusing Agraeus of trying to control her like Ezra. She's very much projecting what Ezra did to her and what she's felt like uh, being trapped in a golden cage or trapped by golden chains, this uh, living this life of wealth and luxury, but being confined to uh, being this type of person and only wanting so much, only having dreams that go so far. And she starts projecting that onto a grace who's not trying to, to be that at all. And it was a real 180 for the character. And, and I didn't like how, I, you know, I get that they wanted to cause a rift between a grace and Imogen for what happens later, but it just really seemed like it came about very abruptly. And so I wasn't sure if I liked that. 
they make it back to the Berg and uh, they're with this uh, representative from the New Dawn trying to force them to speak on the New Dawn's behalf before Parliament. And this is where we do kind of get a little more political wrangling. Agraeus is trying to get in contact with the Black Ravens, that's Vignette's group, and, and kind of undermine the New Dawn until he finds out that the New Dawn have already infiltrated the Black Ravens. And, and he is taken captive, has one of his horns cut off, it's mailed back to Imogen. And this is kind of where she worries about him leaving the first place. His life is on the line. You know, this could go terribly sour. And she realizes that all the, the resentment she was having towards him uh, didn't matter. She did love him. And, and we kind of get that reconciliation there. And then when she has the horn mailed to her, just a, another piece that reaffirms that, that she does love this man. To me, it all this is probably the only storyline that felt really rushed. Like they were trying to do too much in too little time because they only had so much time left and i, I really wish uh, this whole story if they wanted to do kind of a makeup breakup sort of thing with with the grace and imogen i just wish it would have had longer to do it and pull this off because i think it would have worked better like i said it just felt a tad rushed but i like all that they did all of it made sense it just like i said happened quite quickly and 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 the turnaround from Imogen uh, being in love with this man to being suspicious of this man, claiming he's trying to control her, just, it, it was too quick for my liking. I did like how Agraeus, uh, you know, he's he's captured by the New Dawn, he escapes, and at the very, well, not the very end, but, but close to the end, you know, after the main climax, it's not quite over because the New Dawn are escaping and Leonora, played by Joanne Wally from Willow fame, she is trying to escape and he cuts her off and gets his revenge, which I which I really like that. And and I really like the Joanne Wally character, this Leonora character, uh, because she did really have some menace to her. Uh, she's very unassuming. You know, Imogen, when she first meets her, thinks she's uh, just another one of the peasants. But she is one of these radical revolutionary leaders. And, and it felt very real. And she talked a good game. But when it came down to it, she was vicious. And and that's why I liked her as a villain. Because Joanne Wally really pulled that off. She, much like the first season with Jared Harris as Absalom Breakspear, he really played that, that role so well. Because you felt the, the power of a, of a political figure that uh, is trying to rule a country, but they also had some moments between him and Philo, uh, between a father and a son that were not tender, but just showed a, a little bit of range for this character and another facet to the Absalom Breakspear character, which I really liked. And and you get that with a with a fantastic veteran actor like Jared Harris. I think Joanne Wally is the same way. You know, she's a she's a veteran actress and. When you when you want a character that just has just that power of performance, you get somebody like that, and she nailed it, and, and really made this character for the brief time we got to see her. She really made this character very powerful and made stakes out of very little screen time, which which I really enjoyed. Now the other couple we're going to talk about 
is the Rycroft Philostrate, also known as Philo, character played by Orlando Bloom, and Vignette Stone Moss, played by Cara Delevingne. Uh, I, I love this. I love this. These two actors. Uh, I love this two relationship between these two characters. It felt very real. And watching interviews with Orlando Bloom, he. He says in, in several interviews about how this relationship is messy, and that's how real relationships are, and and it really is probably the best way to describe it. Of course, uh, Philo is part of the Berg Constabulary, kind of the an, an inspector. It's the police, almost like the state police. They don't really have an army per se, although they do have an army that were at war earlier, but this is more of uh, a, a city-state, so the... Uh, the police are essentially the army within the city. And he's a part of that. Uh, although after the events of the first season where everything goes to shit and all of the critch, uh, all the fake creatures are kind of confined to Carnival Row, this, this ghetto in the Berg. And it very much felt like uh, like the Jewish ghettos during World War II in, in places like uh, the Czech Republic and in Germany and Poland, places like that, Austria, uh, it really kind of felt like that uh, to just to watch it. But he's no longer a part of the police force. He's kind of a pariah. The uh, humans don't like him because he's part critch because we found out that he is a he is a fae. He is a, a, a pix who had his wings cut off as a child. He's been living as a human, but he, he finds out that he is part uh, fae and you know, the humans don't like him because he's part Critch. The Critch don't like him because he's part human. And he was a, a police officer that subjugated the Critch and persecuted the Critch. Even though he wasn't that guy, he wasn't that type of guy. Uh, he was guilty by association. But throughout this season, we've got Orlando Bloom kind of, uh, he's kind of in like fight club is essentially what it is. He's uh, fighting trolls for money and fighting other creatures for money uh, with this guy, Boz, who kind of runs a, a bit of a crime ring. Vignette is a part of the Black Ravens, a fave, for lack of a better term, terrorist group kind of liken it to the IRA uh, from back in the 80s. But they kind of do this dance. It's kind of like an on-again, off-again relationship between these two. They start off pretty happy, and then Vignette gets in even deeper with the Black Ravens, and there is a, a lot of power struggle within that. Philo starts working with the police again, trying to help them solve this this case with this this creature that's going around killing both uh, police officer humans and and fey creatures. That drives a wedge between them. They come back together. Something else drives a wedge between them. They come back together. Then there's a, another wedge driven between them. Uh, it was a little frustrating because you really wanted these two to end up together. But it just wasn't written in the cards. And like like Orlando Bloom said, this is a messy relationship. And, and real life relationships can be pretty messy sometimes. You get a lot of involvement in their storyline with two other characters. The uh, Tourmaline character played by Carla Chrome. She does a really good job. She has inherited the powers from the Alice Creed character. She plays a Harspex, kind of a witch, in so much that she has to put her hands inside like 
entrails from some creature to see visions and things like that. She was uh, around. Tourmaline was around when Alice Krieg's character was killed off and her powers, her spirit, passed on into Tourmaline. So now she is this Horuspex and is having these visions of, of this creature that is behind all of these murders in the Berg. And of course, she is kind of uh, taking up house, so to speak, and not in a non-romantic way with the Darius character, played by Arion Bakari. And I, I really like his performance. He's uh, he got such a, a strong yet sensitive feel about him, you know, and, and this character is very tragic in that he was a soldier with Philo in the, the war in Tirnanok. I can't remember if he was captured by the Pact and they experimented on him or the Berg experiment. I think the Pact experimented on him and created a or, or turned him, him into a, a Merrick, which is essentially a werewolf. And, you know, he's a good guy, a caring guy. Uh, he's worried about Tourmaline, but he can turn into this monster that, that that's full of rage and, and it kind of plays in later because Tourmaline is worried about him being around when the the Ceres finally shows up and she says that I can't fight two monsters at the same time because she's afraid that Darius is going to turn into a Merrick and a werewolf and she won't be able to control him. But these two characters, these two actors really did a good job with these roles and the characters are really interesting. Again, it's something where if this season, or actually if this series were going to go on a few more seasons, there's just so much you could do with these characters. And you do get a... A little bit of a romance. See, there's a romance between... Uh, Picks are, are, are very funny in this world because they're, what is it, polyamorous, almost polygamist. Uh, they can have multiple, uh, multiple multiple people in a relationship. And they even mentioned it, how apparently Vignette, I think Vignette and Tourmaline have had a relationship in the past. Uh, she met Philo and, and they fell in love. So they've had a relationship. Uh, the relationship between Vignette and Tourmaline has never fully gone away. And it kind of rekindles during this season. There's talk of the three of them just going off and having a uh, a relationship in, in, in Tiernanok or, or what have you. It, it's very complicated. Again, it sometimes felt a little rushed. Because you had the vignette and Philo character very much in a relationship. And then all of a sudden, they're pushing the vignette and Tourmaline character uh, together. It, it almost felt like some of these stories got a little fast-tracked just to get to the end that they wanted to get to. And uh, I, like I said, I don't think it was done poorly. It was just obviously quick turnaround time for a lot of these relationships. But I really liked uh, some of the things they did with Philo and Vignette. Philo really kind of had that crisis of conscience. He's coming to terms with the fact that he's got a human side and he's got a fae side. And that the human side has always done things for the right reasons. But the, the, the things he's done and the people he's associated with, the police force, have subjugated his kind. You know, the fae 
half of him. And coming to terms with that was really interesting and, and really kind of made this character very complex and interesting to, to watch. There again, that one scene where he's in jail and he's kind of having these hallucinations, <laughs> these punch drunk, uh, I've been concussed sort of hallucinations where he's talking to himself and his, his other self is kind of condemning him for the things he's done against the fae creatures or the people he's associated with that have persecuted the fae creatures that uh, really made this, this whole character uh, just so complex and interesting. Uh, there again, it would be neat to, to see uh, a more fleshed out story with this character that lasted over a few seasons. Uh, I, I really wish we could have seen that. You had the vignette character there again. She's doing things for the right reasons, but she's just aligning herself with the wrong people. And she aligns herself with the Black Ravens. And every time she gets out, she's drawn back in. And then she finds out why she left in the first place because uh, they're they're willing to kill innocent people. And that's not her. And you get that back and forth with these characters and who they associate with. And then that just translates over into Philo and Vignette. They're back and forth between their relationship and, you know, not being able to trust one another because of, again, who they associate with. They're a wonderful couple that just couldn't get the timing right. And it's sad because, you know, the Philo character, everything he does is for her. You know, he uh, gets with Milford once the Breakspear and Longer Bane are out of the picture. And Milford is is working with Parliament to kind of run the country until they get a new chancellor. You know, he makes a deal with them to get them out of the Burg and and let them go back to Tirnanok because the pact has, has left. The Fae can go back to their home country. Philo orchestrated that in, in part and parcel for the fey creatures, but but he did that for Vignette. And, and just everything he did was always for her, and it just never felt like she appreciated it until it was way too late. But then, of course, the, the ships got bombed by the Black Ravens. Parliament had kind of duped the, the Fey. They were going to send uh, soldiers in those ships as well to retake Tiernanok. Uh, a lot more political wrangling that is probably not too dissimilar to what, what happens in the real world here. But it all comes down to this final sequence where the Ceres is finally revealed to be a member of the PAX ambassador team as their ambassador group to the Berg, Major Veer. And I like the reveal because Tourmaline is kind of doing her witchy-poo thing and she's seeing through his eyes and he kind of turns around after he gets out of a carriage and looks in the glass windows and she sees his reflection. So that's how she knows it's him. And then, and he can tell that she's kind of watching him through his own eyes. There's the whole deal at parliament where major Veer, the Saris is going to tear apart parliament, but uh, between Imogen and Milford and Philo, they all kind of disrupt that. And then this Ceres is going after Tourmaline. And she's had a vision of this, so she knew it was going to happen. And you get that showdown between the two of them. And and she's not just like a, an innocent bystander or a damsel in distress. She's using her her witch powers to, to fight this creature. But then out of nowhere, you see the Darius character. He's transformed into a, to a Merrick and it's fighting the Ceres. And of course, 
she gets mortally wounded, which is, is, is such a, uh, a sad, sad thing to see because you really liked this character so much and the actor who plays him. But Vignette shows up, she fights the the Ceres, and then finally Philo. And and Philo, I, I loved how they, they ended this because the Ceres kind of wraps Philo up much like he did Breakspear at the, the beheading scene. And you think, oh shit, he is going to be eaten as he, you know, you, you figured he was going to save the day, but you figured he was going to die trying. But he ends up shooting this Ceres uh, through the body and then through the head and and killing it and and saving the day, which was really interesting how it all played out. And then, of course, that sad scene when when Darius dies uh, was was horrible. And then that's if that wasn't enough, he he's going out to stop this and let Vignette and Tourmaline get away. And he's dragging the Ceres body out. And then one of the guys that uh, is causing trouble, one of the rabble rousers during this whole big kind of uh, bunch of idiots trying to kill all the critch on the road, uh, shoots him in the back. And then this uh, the police officer, Dombey, who had a, a bigger role in this. Uh, I, I really... It was one of those characters that you hated for most of the uh, season, but he was a guy that turned out to be a decent guy. Uh, played by Jamie Harris, uh, I, I really liked the the arc of the Sergeant Dombey character. As much as he was an asshole in season one, and, and for the most part of season two, he actually turned out to be an all right and decent guy at the end. He probably had one of the biggest arcs in the series as far as character development goes but he ends up shooting the guy that shoots philo and then you have that end where tourmaline and vignette are off they get married and tiernanok uh it, it's kind of bittersweet because you really did want philo and vignette to end up together and who's to say they might you know he might go to tiernanok and he you know they can bring him into the marriage uh, sister wife style or however that works However, uh, or the Fae and the uh, the Picts do their thing, but we get to see them kind of have their happy ending. You get the scene with uh, Agraeus and Imogen, where they've they've come out as an interracial, interspecies couple, and they're bringing electricity to the Berg. You have this scene where uh, you know Philo is the heir to the Chancellorship, and that's kind of the king in this in this world. And we see him stand before Parliament and he does this big speech about how, you know, he never thought he'd see the day where they would accept him uh, part fey, part human uh, as and want him to be their chancellor. But he didn't want it. And, and you really kind of thought they were they were building towards him becoming chancellor. There was this, that whole thing in season one with the prophecy and you really thought, okay, you know, they're going to make him the chancellor. And they kind of subverted that expectation, which I, I was happy. And, and he has this speech where he says the next uh, chancellor of the Berg should have horns or wings, but it wasn't going to be him. And he kind of walks off. And there's that, that great scene with him and the Milford character. Because Milford, uh, played by Simon McBurney, a fantastic actor, uh, really loved his uh, performance throughout this whole series because he kind of uh, went from being the you know he's an actor he has this troop of little kobold 
that wear costumes and masks and he puts on shows. He went from that to being the teacher of Jonah Breakspear, to being Jonah Breakspear's advisor when he becomes chancellor, to essentially ruling the country with uh, the select members of parliament after Breakspear dies. And, and he ends up back on the streets performing with these kobolds for, for little kids and, and people. And it was kind of a full circle for this character. And, and like I said, Simon McBurney just did a wonderful job with this character and just always looking out for the people. You know, that's all he ever wanted. Even if he got tangled up in some of the political maneuverings and the political intrigue, he was always looking out for not just humans, but the Fae as well. And one of the truly good characters, although he didn't seem it at times uh, throughout this series, but that that wonderful scene between him and Philo about, you know, what's Philo going to do next kind of gives a... I don't know, but we're going to find out sort of answer to it. And you wonder if he's going to end up going to Tirnanach to try and and find Vignette again or, or what's going to happen. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those open-ended endings that makes you realize that there was more story that we didn't see before episode one of season one. And there's going to be more story to come after episode 10 of season two. We're just not going to be able to see it, but the the story will continue. The story will go on and just makes this part of a bigger world. And, you know, people toss around the term world building all the time when it comes to fantasy and science fiction and horror. Uh, but this really uh, one of the one of the great things they did with this was world building. And that's one of the things I loved most about this is the fact that it really built a, a fantastical world. Like I said, this was part steampunk and you really had that in some of the designs, some of the, the airships and the uh, these these rail cars that they had. It had very much a steampunk feel to it. You had the fantasy element with all of these uh, fantastic creatures. You know, they had uh, you know, the pixies, uh, they had the fawn, uh, and a lot of different varieties of fawn. It wasn't just the, the ones like Agraeus with kind of like the ram's horn. They had uh, a Leonora character was a fawn, but she had more almost like elk-like antler horns or gazelle. Yeah, maybe it's more like a gazelle. Uh, there's various ones of that. There was a... Uh, what I I took the Boz character to be more like a minotaur, kind of had horns like a like a steer, uh, but I think he was technically considered a fawn in this. I think fawn is just a generic term for any creature that has antlers of some type. But I think there are a lot of like you know many different races uh, of people in in the human world. I think fawn may even have a, many different races of fawn. So, so that was interesting. Uh, we saw some centaurs more in season one. I don't recall any centaurs in season two, but they did have those in season one. I think maybe, maybe probably a budgetary thing as far as like the CG goes. There was a troll in this. There was the kobold. There was the mar. Uh, there were these other creatures. I can't remember what they were, but Boz had two creatures with him. And I can't remember for the life of me if they were supposed to be orc or goblin or something like that. Uh, but yeah, you had a lot of different fantasy creatures. You had uh, in season two, especially you had the Dark Asher, which was this like puppet golem made from bodies of, of deceased people. And it really kind of had a cool... Frankenstein meets Cthulhu vibe to it. 
which was kind of cool. The Saris, which I there again, it's based off uh, some myth, uh, but I can't remember specifically. And I, like again, I wish I would have looked that up before I talked about it. But you had a lot of these cool fantasy creatures kind of thrust into this Victorian uh, slash steampunk world. You had a lot of bits of horror, especially in that first season where they're where they're after the dark Asher and they're trying to f- solve the mystery of this creature. Uh, you had a lot of elements of horror. You didn't have as many in this one, but you still had some. When you have this creature that is, uh, pl- you know, it's essentially the major Veer character. And, and what his intent is, is he's trying to cause problems with the Berg, you know, planting these murders and making it look like, you know, kill a human, make it look like the Fae did it. Kill a Fae, make it look like the humans did it. And trying to sow dissent there because this this creature is in league with the New Dawn, who became in league with the Black Ravens. But this creature, this Cirrus creature, the creature design on it was fantastic. I think the design on on almost all of the creatures was really good. You had a lot of really interesting looks. Like I said, the fawns, there were so many different species of fawn that they all kind of had a unique look. And for the most part, for the most part, the CG was really good in this. Uh, there was some CG that was a little wonky uh, with, you know, with the Dark Asher and with the Ceres. You know, these complete CG creatures were a little... Uh, you know, it wasn't perfect all the time, but for the most part, it was really good. You had a lot of mixture of practical elements and CG, which which really worked uh, for a lot of these creatures. Uh, I liked the the fawns, uh, like Agraeus. Uh, they did a lot of really cool stuff because it was practical makeup and, and these practical horns that they put on him. And then they did something where, like they had him, uh, his feet in some sort of boot. It made him look like he had hooved feet. But it was almost like he was wearing uh, high-heeled shoes, and he wasn't used to wearing them. And it kind of made his knees bend a little bit, and made it look like he had cloven feet and and was walking around with that. Sometimes it looked a little obvious what the the prosthetic was, but other times, and most times, it looked really good and looked the part. And David Jesse played this this character great, and the fact that he had to do it with all this prosthetic makeup on his face and with these with these weird kind of cloven hooved feet shoes that he had to wear uh, as part of becoming this this fawn uh, just made the performance that much better. But I really did dig the CG work in this was was pretty good the special effects makeup and the prosthetics that they used was fantastic and the design on all of it was just wonderful to watch i love the mythos within the myth uh you know you had a lot of these uh creatures especially season one they delved into this a little more the the different religions within the fey the martyr and and the religion uh, of the humans uh, there's a lot of interesting thing, a lot of interesting lore that we only scratched the surface on, which, like I said, makes it a shame that we're not going to get any more seasons because there's just so much more they could have delved into these different lands. We only scratched the surface on what we saw of Tirnanok and the Pact. It'd really be interesting to to live in this world and live with these characters a little bit longer and live with the the world that they live in. I really liked the writing in this. The writing was really good uh, for the most part with these characters. I thought all the characters were really well written. A lot of them were really uh, complex and multifaceted characters. Characters that weren't just one note for the most part. 
Uh, you know, there were some that were kind of one-note villain, but they weren't main characters. All the main characters really had a lot of uh, a lot of aspects to their their personality that that made them very interesting, very compelling. All the principal characters I thought were just characters I wanted to live with a little bit longer as well. Like I said, in the second season, I think the writing suffered just because you know you end season one, you have to pick up season two where season one left off, and you realize that, hey, we want this to end here, but we only have one season to do that. How do we cut corners? How do we fast track storylines? How do we fast track character and relationship arcs uh, to get, you know, get from point A to point B to point C, where from point B to point C, we planned on having, you know, C, D, E, and F, and ending at G. So now we've got to go from point B to point G and, you know, cut out any fat as po- as much fat as possible. And there again, like I said, some of the storylines, uh, some of the relationships felt like they, they turned on a dime a little quick. But there again, they were kind of hamstrung by the fact that they had to to wrap this series up in one season. And, and there again, I know I've kind of beat that drum to death but it's a shame because we really could have this story in this world could have stood to have a a few more seasons out of it so all in all even though we only got two seasons i really loved carnival row and you know you gotta thank guillermo del toro for this because it was because of him this was based on a screenplay written by Travis Beecham, who's one of the creators. It was entitled uh, A Killing on Carnival Row. It was supposed to be a movie, and it just wasn't getting picked up, and it just wasn't getting optioned. And Guillermo del Toro came on as an executive producer and co-writer, but he got Amazon to, to jump on board with this and put this into production as a series. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't even got these two seasons. So uh, really thankful to him for, for being a part of that. But we really did get two solid seasons out of this this story. And and like I said, a fantastic cast led by Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne, Simon McBurney, Jared Harris, David Jesse, Carla Chrome, Tamzine Merchant. The list goes on and on of all the wonderful actors that really brought these characters to life. And of course, the all the directors and creators and and all the people that worked in special effects just did a fantastic job in this series it it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination and i think most of its shortcomings came in kind of a truncated second season but i i really enjoyed this second season as much as i did the first one and it really kind of had a given all that they had to do uh it was it was a satisfying ending because it didn't end it just this section of the story ended and we know the story goes on uh, unfortunately we don't get to see that i i wish i could say that uh, somewhere along the way uh this would get picked up by somebody else who i, I don't know the reasons why amazon didn't want to do more than just one more season but i'm at least glad we got that because so many other stories on on other streaming services uh don't even get that luxury it is like uh 
you did that first season. We don't want to run it anymore. Thanks, but no thanks. And and this, at least we got a, a conclusion to the story that started back in, in 2019. So all in all, loved Carnival Row. Loved the second season. Like I said, not a perfect season. And, and some of the writing uh, was really hamstrung by the fact that they had to wrap up a, a huge world and a huge story in just one season. But for the most part, loved both seasons of Carnival Row and uh, wish we could get more. But that just wasn't in the cards or the entrails for all the horse specs out there. So I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to my thoughts on Carnival Row Season 2 and kind of a series wrap-up for that. Uh, if you haven't watched it, go check it out. Like I said, it's only two seasons on Amazon Prime, like 18 episodes. You can bang that out in a weekend and then come back and listen to my thoughts and see if maybe you feel the same as I did after watching it. Maybe you'll feel completely different. Maybe you'll hate it. Maybe you'll love it more than I did. Uh, I don't know how that's possible because I really did enjoy Carnival Row, but uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on it all the same. Check out more on Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. We're always posting trailers to latest movies and series out there as well as articles we find all over the internet on the genres we love horror, fantasy, and science fiction. I always like to throw my two cents in as well. Uh, be listening. We've got another episode coming up on Thursday for the new Shudder original movie, Leave. And we're going to have a, a special uh, random curiosity sometime this week. Another movie uh, that I watched uh, this last week that, uh, oh, The Lake. Well, we'll talk about The Lake. It's not a full episode for a reason. So we'll talk about that coming up later this week. Uh, you can find out more about that on the Facebook page. And of course, don't forget to check us out on Instagram. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, follow it, subscribe to it, like it, whatever you have to do, download the episodes, share the episodes, get the word out there, help us, uh, you know, help us build our, our following uh, by, by sharing this with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And as always, leave those reviews. Five stars would be awesome. But whatever review you leave, we do appreciate that. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha.